0: You know, the number of hospital visits has gone up dramatically in the past few years. In fact, I was reading about this study that was done to answer what states have the longest average waiting time for an appointment. And uh, what they found was the District of Columbia, it was 286 minutes. Can you believe that? That's a long time to wait. I was also reading that ABC News reported there there was a man from Australia who called his airline and was put on hold for 15 hours, 40 minutes in one second. Which blows our minds because we're thinking, what kind of commitment would it take to wait for 15 hours to talk to your airline? You know, I think every one of us has spent some time in a waiting room and, I don't know, waiting rooms, there's this low level of anxiety, there's something no one wants to watch on the TV and nobody really wants to be there. I'll tell you, I've never had a friend say, hey, let's go hang out and let's hang out in a waiting room. It's something we all hate, right? If you've ever spent any significant time in a waiting room, you know that you only have one question and it's this, when is it going to be my turn? Maybe you're waiting on something else. You're waiting on a girl or a guy to call you. Some of you are currently waiting on a job and you've got this feeling of putting out resumes and nobody's calling back. Some of you are waiting for an apology or others of you are waiting to be pregnant and all of your friends are having children and and you wonder, why not me? Some of you are waiting for the test results to come back, or you're waiting to move, or waiting to find out if you're staying, or maybe some of you are just waiting on redemption. You know, when you're waiting, there's some things you just don't want to hear. Uh, I'd say there's three words that you least want to hear when you're waiting, and they're these words. Just be patient. And it's because there's frustration, right? When you're waiting, you're you're angry. There's anger with God, anger with people. There's a loss of hope. You know the book of James speaks about this. In James five seven, it says, "Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord." And in this section of the book of James, he's giving the believers this way of responding to the oppression of the rich in their society. You see, with resources and influence comes this increased power to oppress and. These early Christians want to know, how should we respond to this mistreatment? And the answer James gives them is so insightful. He says, be patient, which brings up this question, what does it mean to be patient? And James in this text uses two words to describe patience. And it's one word that means long-tempered. And he uses another word to mean remaining under something. And I'd say long-tempered is how most of us think of patience. Like, I'm just supposed to be cool under pressure and just put up with this. But James is talking about more than that. A patient person is, is someone who remains under something that's really difficult, which is the exact opposite of what most of us want to do. Like, I don't want to remain under difficulty. I want to get away from difficulty. You know, James must think that there's something to be gained from having a just-remain-here Perspective on our trials. You know, it's interesting in a hospital, one of the names for you is a patient. And this word has Latin roots that mean the one who suffers. And then James, he gives them this focus for their time of suffering. And people are asking, like we would, how long must we suffer? And the answer James gives them is until the coming of the Lord. And the Greek word here is parousia. And it refers back to the way Jesus would describe the judgment of God here on earth. And judgment is this scary word, but it just means the revealing of the truth. And James is saying that when the Lord comes, there's gonna be both judgment and deliverance for those who wait well. In fact, in 1 Peter, it says this, the end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you can pray. Both Peter and James are saying, while you're waiting, keep the end in mind. My daughter, Cadence, she's 14 years old and we'll be watching a movie that she can't handle and there's this awkward moment And she'll always literally walk out of the room, which I love, Uh, especially when I've already seen the movie. And I I asked her, well, why do you bail out? And she says, I walk out because I can't handle not knowing how it's going to end. You know, one of the things I hate is getting shots. And a lot of people have gotten shots lately. And what the doctor always says when someone is in the middle of getting a shot is this, don't worry, it's almost over. In other words, the end is near. So hear me on this. You might be like, sure, Brian, I get it. Jesus is coming back, life is short, eternity with God, blah, 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 but I'm still single, or I'm still in a job I hate, or I still am suffering, so how near is it? And the point is that people with the end in mind, they develop patience in the waiting. But when James says, be patient, he's teaching us about the discipline of waiting and and remaining under something. And, you know, we don't know how to wait in this world today at all, right? I mean, when my Wi-Fi takes two seconds to load, I lose my mind. And, And here's the question that hit me when I was reading this text is, what if the best of life is actually found in remaining under the things that I just want to get over? So James, he gives us three examples of how patience is going to show up in our lives. And First he talks about the farmer and he says this, he says, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. And Then he says this, You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So here's what I know, if you hate to wait, don't become a farmer. In fact, I was looking up the history of this, and in the Middle East, farmers would plant seeds in the fall and hope late rains would come and and soften the soil. And then they would hope for early rains in the spring to mature the harvest. And without both early and late rain, there would be very little that they would harvest. And and there's an obvious application here, and here's what it is, that we are all spiritual farmers and and we want to see the good stuff harvested in our lives. In verse eight, he says, establish your hearts and see to have an established field, that takes faithfulness, to be faithful that the rain's gonna come and the sunshine's gonna come. And here's the deal, life comes in seasons and our obsession with getting to the next season actually keeps us from experiencing a true spiritual harvest. I think some of you might just need to plant yourself right where you are, at, at the church that you're in or with the friends that you have in the marriage that you're in. But here's our problem. We all want a harvest, but we all hate planting. So, what do we do in the meantime? I think James is saying this. He's saying, We work. That's what we do, we work. One thing I know about farmers is that they aren't lazy. My grandfather, he used to wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning to milk cows every single day. He'd be out mowing and baling all day long, fixing fences in the evening. And Here's the deal, just because you're waiting doesn't mean you aren't working. You're just working for the right reasons when you understand that the end is coming and what the end actually is. You see, when you believe Jesus is coming back, you aren't working to alleviate the waiting, but you're working to elevate the waiting, to give it value. Uh, Galatians 6 9 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So, how do we act while we wait? And James continues on in verse 9. He says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. He's talking about complaining. Uh, One temptation when you're in a waiting room is to complain about the other people who have the thing that you desperately want. we begin to complain with the other patients, right? Like, like, man, these people are slow, or the service here really sucks, or these seats are terrible, and then you laugh about it. And it makes you feel like you're not alone, but it never speeds up the process. But once in a while, someone will begin a real conversation, and people who are your competitors are all of a sudden your companions in the waiting. And James, he gives us a second example of patience and speaks about the prophet's in the Bible in James 5:10 it says as an example of suffering and patience brothers take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord and I think prophets like Jeremiah who is the one who weeps and Noah who lived in this flood and Habakkuk who had to wait on God or, or Daniel who went to the lion's den they remained in God and suffered specifically for their calling to be God's voice to other people and then he talks about job and If you know the story about Job, why did Job suffer? He suffered because he was righteous. And his friends, we know, weren't helpful at all, right? His his wife tells him to curse God. And and yet his life still speaks to us thousands of years later. So what what do we learn from the prophets? I think it's this, that their trials came because of their faithfulness, not despite their faithfulness. God actually saw them worthy of suffering, worthy of waiting. And so what we see here is that people who focus on the end fulfill their mission. They do what they're here for, and you may not know this, but you have a calling in this world that no one else can accomplish. But there's this enemy who wants you to be more connected with the what ifs or the unrealized dream than God's calling on your life. And he knows if he can keep you worried, he can keep you worthless for the kingdom of God. In last James, he's gonna talk about honesty. In verse 12, he says, but above all my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. You see, James is probably trying to remind us of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about this idea of taking oaths. And the idea is that people with integrity don't have to say a lot. They just say what's true. When you're in a waiting room, you'll say almost anything to get out of there, right? We'll lie about other appointments. We'll claim to have been there longer than we've actually been there. We'll act like our problem is the most important problem in the room. But when you're focused on remaining under instead of getting over something, there's redemptive value in the truth. Whatever the truth is, even if it hurts. You know, we've all seen how the lies only compound the pain of waiting. And here's another thing James is showing us, and I think it's that people who know where they're going are honest about where they are. If you're defending your decisions to yourself or others, you're probably not sure where your hope lies. You're not confident in where you're going. Where do we lie in order to get out of the waiting rooms of life? You might lie about your relationships, right? You're, you're done being single, and you know the guy or girl you're dating doesn't love Jesus, but you're telling yourself he or she does because... Every time you go out with him or her, they go to church with you the next Sunday, right? So they must love Jesus, but, but maybe they don't. And you're just lying because you don't want to be waiting anymore. You might oversell yourself on a job application just to get out of your current job. Some of you might even use church as an excuse to run from God. And maybe you're going from church to church looking for that perfect blend of Christian community where they love Jesus but they're not too Jesus-y or they preach theology but aren't too theological or they're culturally relevant but aren't trying to be too cool and they stand up for justice but aren't too political and you just figure it's time to give up on God because it looks like the church is just full of a bunch of sinners. You might be lying to yourself. So here's the honest truth about all of us who are waiting, and it's that we all want one thing, and it's good news. 2 Peter 3.9 is responding to the reality that sometimes we want to throw our hands up and say, Jesus, just come quickly. And he says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And I want you to think about that. The fact that we're all still waiting for Christ to return isn't cruelty, it's actually kindness. So the good news is that God isn't being slow. He's actually giving us time to repent, to think differently about the waiting in our lives. When you get this, I'll tell you, your prayers will move from Jesus come soon to Jesus, give me just another minute to tell one more person about your grace. We're all waiting on something. It might be insignificant or it might be life-altering, but let me give you some perspective. Without God, we're all just really waiting on death. We might be happy or sad right now, but it's still inevitably coming for all of us. But as Christians, we follow Jesus, who went to a grave which should have been his end, but then he came back out. And The Bible tells us that we will do the same thing if we surrender to Jesus in the waiting. And if all of this is true... When you're sitting alone in the dark, feeling like this might be the end of you, Jesus is actually sitting right next to you saying, this is just the beginning.